What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? Derek, we took a, I was going to say a little drive, but it wasn't a little drive uh, because we initially hit a rock, postponed, <laughs> finally made it out to the wonderful Finger Lakes region to sit down with a friend Carl at Hollowhorn Distilling, and there's a lot to discuss. So, how are you, man? Good. Thanks for coming out. Absolutely. S- super stoked you guys finally made it. Yeah. You want to tell everybody where we are? We are in Naples, New York, right at the south end of Canandaigua Lake. Um, heart of the, we like to say the heart of the Finger Lakes. Mm-hmm. So about 30 minutes south of Canandaigua and about an hour south of Rochester. Yep. Are you from this area? Is that why you chose I it? I am. Yep. Okay. Yep. Where'd you, right in Naples? Grew up in Naples nice. and then yep, went, moved away, went to college, and then settled back here partly because it's so beautiful and family ties and good people, fresh air. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So what made you start getting into the, the distilling industry? Well, the I know in, it's a long story. The industry is, <laughs> is kind of, uh, I, I don't even know that I'm in the industry yet. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but I mean, distilling, uh, I think I just, I loved, I loved brewing for a long time and love, but really my love was whiskey. So, um, yeah, I think it didn't take long me brewing beer and, uh, getting into like home brewing to think. I could take this the next step, especially, you know, getting getting into single malt whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's very similar. You know, you're, you're brewing and then you know, a single malt is barley yeast water. So you're making a beer essentially. And then, yeah, then I just started kind of studying anywhere I could, trying to work at, you know, any kind of shadow people, pick people's brains. Every time I traveled, anywhere I traveled, I was going to distilleries, mm-hmm. talking to people, getting to know people, you know, in the industry. And. Um, I think it was probably about 15 years ago, uh, we, my wife and her sister, we, we all kind of collectively started a little farm to table restaurant down here that was going to be a craft cocktail bar. And when, when we sold that, I think that's really when my mind, both my wife, Melissa and I thought, what's the next thing? Let's move this because it was a little limited space wise. We were renting the space 
so then you know we kind of took that and jumped off yeah. the ledge big time <laughs> and said <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna do it we looked at buildings to rehab and and then we just jumped in full bore and started I started really working on my skills trying to you know gain as much knowledge as I could about mm -hmm. the distilling into things she has the the culinary and artistic right. I mean we're both artists but she's really got the talent I mean this is uh, you know all of our labels and and I think it we just found it was everything we're makers it was everything we love to do so you know distilling is it's alchemy but it's also you know there's physical work involved it's a lot of cleaning too yeah. but you know <laughs> yeah. that's, but that's something what, we've been hearing a lot yeah, it's a lot of cleaning just like brewing or winemaking um but you know i love cleaning my my shop up every now and again mm -hmm. too you know like really deep cleaning you kind of get into a zen place and i think the, there's a lot of artistry and and a lot of experimentation so it kind of fulfilled the artist side of me to try to play with different spirits different yeast strains different production methods mm -hmm. it kind of feeds everything so yeah it's been about 15 years and i've literally been you know i'd save money working building houses and then you know go to the hudson valley and study with somebody or you know i studied with hubert germain Rabanne, a french cognac distiller we took a trip to europe uh learn from you know a distiller a farm distiller there so anywhere that i could squeak in save money and squeak a, a week-long workshop go to kentucky you know learn learn from distillers down there so that's kind of been a passion for 15 years of just doing it small scale on my own learning yeah. as much as i can and then this you know building this place has really taken it to the next level it's crazy because and we're obviously going to get to your distilling process and what you're making but i don't want to gloss over the fact that you build houses so, like, do you want to talk about that portion and then also your wife's sure. artistic portion, too? Yeah. So, we, um, like I said, we were both artists. I'm a sculptor. I worked and taught at Alfred University School of Art and Design. Both Melissa and I went there. She is a painter, but mixed-media artist, and obviously, you know, her drawings are incredible. Um, and so, we, when we moved back here, we just, I think, we kind of did this same we like spaces that feel instantly like they have a soul mm -hmm. and they make they fill you with energy they it's a big part of when i do any kind of building whether it's a you know a, de a full design build or i'm remodeling something if i'm designing a space with somebody it's really important to try to find what their interests are and what their aesthetic is and then try to pour my creativity and really make the space feel special because you know when we're home we want that to be a place where we're recharging and that's kind of the idea behind this place is we want it to instantly feel like it's been here so with all the old, old timbers that we salvaged and live edge anything that's got more of a soft natural edge we kind of wanted that aesthetic so that instantly you felt like this has been here it's lived in the old furniture these old like chipped marble tables that we, we've got mm -hmm. so all that stuff you know added the added to that sort of feeling and that's i think it's like sculpture you know you're trying you have this idea and this vision in your head and then it's about trying to shape it mold it and then when the space started to evolve you know melissa's got a great eye for aesthetics finding old tables or or you know, even her idea to do this drawing on the wall or, you know, the way things are hung, the way things are laid mm -hmm. out in the space, that's, we have kind of a nice collaboration that way. And she actually, she and I did a lot of work together. I'd build houses, she'd come in. 
I plastered all these walls, but she picks out, there's like three different colors of white that she rubs in, they're glazes. So it kind of, there's all oh these, gosh. you know, there's all these little touches that she takes my work and kind of polishes it mm -hmm. to the next level, which is kind of fun. And I know that about her and she knows that about me. So I kind of, I love it because I just, you know, I'm the kind of the nuts and bolts guy. And then she comes in and puts the fine shine on everything. Absolutely. So you're literally like New York's version of Chip and Joanna. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who's Chip and Joanna. Chip and Joanna Gaines on HGTV. Oh, the Fixer Upper people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I don't so. know them they're, too they're, much. They're very good. Yeah, that's amazing. That's hilarious. That's so cool. Yeah, we. I mean, we have fun together. Even like you know, with our house building our place, and it started as an artist studio, a gambrel roof barn, and then we we had uh, our first daughter. So it was like, all right, how can we make this little like, you know studio apartment above uh, an artist studio into a home mm -hmm. so then it was like add on move the studio out move the kitchen down create more bedrooms had sure. a second daughter so it was, you know it's kind of things are always evolving much like kind of when we wandered around here you know there's we're always looking at the property the, the you know the space and what can how can we make it better how can we what's the next thing we're going to do to kind of keep people interested and keep us inspired and interested you know which kind of gives off the whole feel of uh, your distillery being founded on dreams, attracting dreamers. So do you notice your clientele kind of falling in the same suit where either they'll give recommendations which are welcomed or is it more or less just everybody's kind of on the same page of what this place yeah. could be? No, I think, I mean, I think we get a little bit of, we get a little bit of the second, the latter, but a lot of the first, like, so we, we feel super fortunate. We've got an amazing, I would say like, our fa our Hollerhorn family, which is sort of the regulars that come, the lo more local people, I'd say within 30, 40 minutes of us that come for events, that come weekly to have food, see what's new on the menu, talk to the, you know, the staff that we have too. We're, we're a family in that sense too, you know? So, and they're all, there's a ton of artists in this area. That's a big part of what attracted us mm -hmm. to come back to Naples. And so, yeah, we have, I would say we attract a lot of those people that you know, come down because they want to be inspired, whether it's on the food side of things, the cocktails, the view, the conversation, the music. And so I, I think we get a lot more of the, the dreamers, you know, this place attracting that kind of artist dreamer, people that have loved the Finger Lakes, are proud of it, share this place because it's kind of their place. You know, they want to bring their, when their family's visiting from out of town, we get a lot of big families that come and say, hey, this is, my family from you know out in Colorado and they mm -hmm. came up and I, I've been dying to take them here so we get a lot of that we do get a lot of people that have made suggestions and some of them quite honestly are, are great you know we're certainly all ears so it's always fun to be on you know to hear from somebody kind of on the other side of the service that we're giving to hear that feedback is super important sure. and we take it to heart we have fine-tuned so many rough edges out of the gates that yeah we love we love both those kind of people yeah. you know but i'd say yeah we get a lot more of the the artists dreamers that share in, in the space you know or give us things that like you know leon applebaum gave us these beautiful he's a glass blower i'm making these beautiful lights because he saw all the horn lights oh cool. so he blew some glass some white glass kind of horn like sweet so we're gonna make some lights with this glass so we get that kind of thing yeah which is really cool people just bringing us horns on that wall <laughs> so they show up literally there's sometimes not even a note they'll leave them on the entryway so you see all the horn 
fragments that yeah. they have. Yeah. yeah. So they just gift them and they'll appear. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's awesome. Yeah. So speaking to an artistic creative and the, the horn standpoint, can you tell people about the name Hollerhorn and how yeah, you yeah. guys just created it? Sure. Yeah. So we, we again, this kind of goes back to, uh, I think, the, uh, Melissa and I being artists. And I think for both of us, when we title a sculpture or a painting or, you know, a conceptual piece of artwork, the title is always... Uh, the last in my mind anyway the last way to like steer a viewer in a different direction or add another layer to a piece of artwork where you might see a piece of artwork and then read the title and it's going to make you think of something else it's mm -hmm. going to or it's going to or it's going to further deepen your understanding of something so and we also get hung up on names you know being timeless or being dated or being trendy or you know so we struggled for literally for years you know this is a like i said a, an ongoing dream and then just started picking words we really love and kind of keeping a log of those words and what what the uh kind of what the philosophy of the space what our passions are and music for us you know it, it's kind of the the little thread that runs through all of this right so so holler is also a word that's got energy when you know when you're out and you're seeing live music sometimes it's you're inspired to just shout you know people get rowdy because it's that energy what you know we're inspired so we kind of liked holler because we also love double meanings and holler is obviously like up in the holler which naples you know this is kind of local vernacular uh, he's up in the holler there's west this is uh so this is Hunt Hollow Road, right? So there's West Hollow, Hunt Hollow. There's a lot of hollows, but that's holler back in the day, mm -hmm. right? Up in the holler. And also where the good whiskey was being made was up in the holler a lot of times. Sure. And so we liked that word, but we didn't like holla. You know, the, it was like, <laughs> um, that's, you know, not the direction we want to go. And horn. Um, so my father is from Austria. Like I said, he's still, he's an Austrian citizen, but moved here when he was 18, 19 years old. And in traveling back to his his um, region of Tyrol in Austria, the horns, so you know the modern horn, the horn is a reference to like, you know, mountains a lot of times like this in his hometown of Kirk, uh, Kirchberg and Kitzbühel in that area, there's the Kitzbühler horn, which looks down into the town. And so this area really reminded him of home and that's one of the reasons he settled here. Um, and so I always liked the double meaning of horn that this is our little horn up here in Naples looking into the valley, kind of much like his hometown. Sure. And then I think one day we just started mashing words up, playing with different word combinations, and hollerhorn seemed to kind of be... And then, obviously, images started coming out of it, you know? Obviously, the my wife had done a sketch of this small scale, and out of all of her sketches, this kept resonating, even this is like three years ago we were kind of conceptualizing things and three four years ago and i was like that drawing just to me seems to resonate and feel right in the space and when hollerhorn we put those two words together it's we felt like we invented this this instrument which we talk about as to herald or heed so a horn can be an instrument that's used to to blow you know a warning to blow in celebration and make music but it's also the hearing, the old hearing horn, which if you've seen, she did a drawing of an old man with days mm -hmm. to have like an old wooden hearing horn or metal hearing horn. 
And so the idea that it's got the duality, we're here to listen, feedback from people. Um, also, you know, like the, the image she drew was of this old man with a hearing horn listening to the field of barley that's up the road. Our first single malt was made from that barley. So it's also, you know, kind of listening to something deeper. You know, it's just as important to listen as it is to to put energy and words and sound out into space. So sure. we love the, the duality and that it's an instrument used to herald or heed seemed to be pretty fitting. And, and also, you know, with everything that goes on here, it seemed like it, it was a good fit. And, That's awesome. And it didn't exist, which is nice for trademarking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. True. Very true. <laughs> yeah. You can skip all that. Right. <laughs> so you briefly discussed, which we can't just not discuss, all the locations that you did workshops in. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Kentucky. Yep. You mentioned there was Scotland in there as well. Yeah. Um, so going through those countless workshops and enjoying a ton of tastings, your wife also agreed to all of this. So great, great <laughs> so, story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome that you picked up on that because, yes. So she was all for it, and you know I did a bunch of workshops, but I was. I had gone to Scotland with friends and we backpacked. That was always a dream of mine, right? To go to Scotland, to go to some of these iconic distilleries, Lagavulin, Laphroaig, um, and Isla in particular. But but out of all of it, I I really wanted to go to Campbelltown, which is Mull of, it's like the Mull of Kintyre, Kintyre Peninsula. But Campbelltown was the heart of Scotch whiskey many years ago, the most distilleries, over 30 distilleries, probably even more than that. And then they, um, then they've basically been whittled down to just Springbank and Glen Scotia. But then, in this trip, we we went to um, Campbelltown was kind of my bucket list of the, these six friends. They all picked a place. They all picked something they wanted to do. And when I I fell in love with Campbelltown because it, it's a town much. And my wife uh, knew how amped I was. When I came back and we really started getting serious about the distillery, she knew I'd been taking small workshops and she heard me talking about Campbelltown and what an amazing time and I just kept, must have repeated it a thousand times. So she surprised me for my, for my birthday maybe six years ago and had contacted Spring Bank in Campbelltown and they have a school and she, she paid my way to wow. go so I worked there. Yeah, I was gone for over two two weeks. She gifted that to me, and that honestly changed my mind and gave me, you know, such a huge focus and and uh, obviously a ton of knowledge. So yeah, she supported. I you know Kentucky. I don't know if you know Wilderness Trail Distillery. So Patrick Heist, Pat Heist is the head distiller there and and part owner. So I've studied with him too. Another mentor. I would say like Frank McCarty at, at Spring Bank. <clears throat> excuse me and and pat heist and Hubert, Germain germaine brandy you know those three are kind of my i would say the most intense mentors in in the world of spirits and distilling and philosophy just uh, their energy their class their you know their ability to share i still am in touch with all of them you know just message i sometimes will text pat heist about questions i have about because I also buy some of my yeast from him, oh, okay. so that's kind of cool. I'll, I'll pick his brain, and he's very generous. I feel like there's a lot of that generosity in mm-hmm. the in the industry. So sure, yeah. So yeah, she's a full supporter, and likewise, I support her dreams. You know, she's yeah. We 
we kind of do the same thing. She wanted to go to, to Italy years ago, and, and that was kind of my gift is I hustled and saved and surprised her for her birthday. Oh, nice. And she kind of chose where in Italy we were going, and obviously food culture there is a huge part of it, and her family history is, you know, Italy. Oh, okay. So it's kind of cool. We're, we're just country, you know, we're bordering <laughs> Italy and, and Austria, which mm -hmm. is pretty cool. So we've both been able to share in those roots going back. So, I mean, yeah, that, that answers the the eventual question, but I, I basically just wanted to hit and see what the work was like in the capacity for you guys outside of your marriage. Like, did her support help your marriage? And then did you supporting her with everything like this help your marriage? Like, did you guys basically fall back in love throughout this entire process? We, we did, yeah. I would say that's the, the crazy thing is some people, you know, and I've been fortunate to work for great people building houses with couples, and you see some couples really work together as a team, mm -hmm. and it brings them closer, and then other couples, it can actually divide them sure. in a way, and you're caught in the middle. And for Melissa and I, I think we always just have so much respect for one another and what our abilities are and what our strengths are that this honestly was, I mean, it's been stressful, don't get me wrong. There have been so many sleepless nights up at 3 a.m., certainly tears shed, um, but not in the way that is pulling us apart. You know, it's, it's and our, our two daughters work here and were a big part of it and helped build it. And they have so much pride, as do we, in, in what we were able to do. And I think that, you know, has, I think through it all, the support of each other and how our dreams kind of merge in this place has only made our yeah we've fallen back in love many many times into a deep i would say yeah marriage can either and your kids can either bring you to you know closer together i think in the same way that a project like this can because they're either going to you're either going to strengthen your bond through that connection and that work or it's going to tear you apart and you're going to go that way of sure you know, maybe resentment or something, which we never have. It's yeah. always been a ton of pride and excitement for what our kids or girls are doing. And they've done, they've reflected that back at us and have been excited about what we're doing. And we all kind of work to support one another. And it honestly, I feel super lucky, yeah. but it's amazing. That's I, mean, incredible. I, I could not be happier. Yeah, yeah that's incredible. incredible. Yeah. So we, we've talked about you studying in all these different places. And when you come back and you want to create a distillery yourself, as people might know you can't just come out swinging with a whiskey because whiskey has to have time to sit in a barrel yep. you took a different approach because you don't want to make vodka right so you decided to make a different type of distilled spirit i'll let you explain it because i yeah. have no idea what i'm talking about so yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about what you started with totally yeah so i think we were kind of talking prior to this a little bit about um, our property our home is about five miles south of here we have a really beautiful 12 acres, a lot of woods, and a lot of sugar maple. And I, growing up, um, neighbors tapped all of our sugar maples on our property, and my brother Mark and I would go out and take little tin cups and drink sap right out of the sap buckets that were hanging on the trees, you know, because it, really um, maple syrup and sap is the first harvest of the season, right? So winter is ending, snow is getting softer, sunlight's coming back, sap starting to flow, and you see everybody around here in the Northeast is going, putting up, you know, taps and buckets. And so that 
and we would boil sap on our wood stove. We would we learned how to tap. My dad, you know, was encouraging, grab the drill, let's tap some of our trees and and then when we got this property five miles from here, I started tapping trees and the girls and Melissa and I, that was our first harvest. We grow a lot of food, we have gardens, we have a greenhouse, and the maple syrup was a added bonus. The sugar house, you know, saps boiling and that was kind of a fun time. The girls, I, I built a sled that I could tow sap and the girls through the woods, which they loved. You know, they'd come help pour buckets into a bigger container and then we'd drag it by sled up to the sugar shack. And and then like, I, you know, I think I mentioned I started brewing and started playing with fermenting and using maple sap and maple syrup. I played with a couple different products. I don't know if you know there's a product that's, so I had this idea 15 years ago about maple sap calling it wild water because it's so good to drink. I had Cornell Labs test it. It's full of minerals, but it also has a lot of native wild yeast in it. It's gotta be, it's gotta be um, preserved in a way, right? So I was kegging it, forcing, you know, I was basically forcing CO2 into it to, and, and didn't wanna use any preservative that wasn't natural. That was almost gonna be a product that I marketed oh, and sweet. then somebody did that. So I just was playing around a lot with it, fermenting it, using different yeast strains, using the wild yeast strains, and then took it the next step and, and started distilling. And then also taking like the late season syrup that is darker, a little more earthy, fermenting that and distilling it, and trying to play with yeast strains that would, I started to find the flavor was a lot like tequila. And it even had a floral, like certain yeast produce floral fruity esters so I was playing around with that. How can I, how can I take this spirit and make it? Because I love agave spirits, tequila, mezcal, and uh, then thinking about farm distillery in New York State, using 85% or more ingredients from New York State, but loving tequila. How can I, how can I make something that instead of a vodka, like every distillery has to do, because you need to cash flow the business, while the whiskey ages, like you said. I mean, you can release a young whiskey or an unaged whiskey, but there's plenty, you know, I'm not a big fan of the moonshine label. It's not moonshine, it's yeah. a gimmick. And true moonshine, you know, that was, I'm not a part of that history. We're at a different time. Sure. So unaged whiskey is fun, but it's not, it's not as exciting to me as doing something unique like, like a maple distillate. You know, I started double distilling it, aging it in cooperage, like used bourbon barrels, and then also playing around with my production methods to get, you know, there's a product we make called Silverleaf. It's a hundred proof spirit, clear, unaged, but it has, it's a very small production of a very small cut of the hearts. And the, the yeast that I'm using produces a almost floral, floral element and esters that I loved. And so I'm producing this very small batch, like micro small batch, because as you know, when you distill heads, hearts, tails. Mm -hmm. The hearts are the good ethyl alcohol that you collect. Usually you're gonna put it in a barrel or that's gonna be your finished spirit. Within those hearts, the flavor will change. Absolutely. So most people are collecting all of those hearts and the, you know, the sum of all of those hearts is your flavor. What I'm doing with that particular maple distillate is I'm taking a small fraction of this little window of hearts, slightly later in the hearts, and that's producing this exact flavor profile that is silver leaf, which is cool. And wow. a lot of people think that one is even more like, you know, a Blanco tequila. Um, and that's fun, you know, and I'm still, I've got two other formulas 
that are waiting approval that are going to be pretty crazy down more the mezcal route. So I had to get formula approval for all of these because there is no, there is no category. It's spirit specialty, so it's such a new category that they don't really. I think eventually Canada is now. There's some producers I've heard are making maple distillates. I think in Vermont there are a few. So there might be a category soon, but there isn't right now. So would you drink this neat, or would you use yes. it specifically for cocktails? I love it neat. Yeah, okay. I love it neat. Especially uh, all of the spirits we make are made to drink neat. But they make great cocktails. Yeah. Much like, you know, a good whiskey is a good whiskey, but let's make an old-fashioned with it, you know. What is the proof on something like this? So silver leaf is 100 proof. Wow. Um, and then seedling, and so seedling is aged in a bourbon cask. Between three and six months, it's a single barrel. So it's not a blended product. Every one of these aged um, maple distillates is a single barrel that's proofed to 80. So there's seedling is three to six months. Um, slightly, slightly different production. I also pick barrels that I think are going to age longer and become old growth, which we're going to release. We don't have old growth yet. That's a, a year, two years, three years, four years of age. So getting into that like mm -hmm. extra añejo category of tequila, similar idea. So we're going to release our first. We actually have a barrel that I earmarked that is. We might harvest this month. It's ready. It depends on timing. But That's if awesome. it sits longer. It can sit longer, you know, it's, it's but it's really, really cool. primo right now. So that'll be our first old growth release. Sapling is in between. It's about it's about nine to twelve months in a bourbon cast. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So now we also have to touch on your baby that you you love. Basically, you started this distillery to do. Right. Um, you want to you want to talk about it and kind of introduce it because it's a very new topic for a lot of people. Yeah. So single malt whiskey has been. I love whiskey in general, but single malt, I would say, for whatever reason, it resonated with me, you know, at an early age, like early 20s, I found it was, yeah, it's just so exciting. The fact that the, um, the tradition, you know, going back to Scotland, Ireland, you know, the UK, and the mystique for me, uh, there's some kind of magic in good single malt Scotch whiskey, right? So... So then knowing that places like Westland Distillery in America, there's a new category on part of we're American single malt producers. So trying to build much like there are laws governing bourbon whiskey and, you know, 51% corn, mm -hmm. new charred white oak barrels, etc. American single malt is trying to follow strict guidelines, much like scotch, single malt scotch whiskey. So very simple barley yeast water i look at it a lot like a like a single vintage um wine you know that's made from one grape variety mm -hmm. so a varietal wine this year these grapes pulled all this minerality the sun was right the harvest was perfect there was low stress on you know pests and and mold mildew it's the same with with uh, single malt whiskey i believe so What's fun is to work with farmers and really try to, because growing malting barley in New York City is very difficult. Sure. And I feel lucky. I've, I'm working with some amazing farmers, some very local, some a little bit further out, about you know, like an hour, hour and a half away. And we're all working with, um, so Hartwick College does all the testing and there's a conference, Cornell is part of it, Cornell University, and, and New York State is really trying to figure out how can we grow good malting barley because 
the brewers there's a huge demand obviously mm -hmm. with breweries and now with with um you know with bourbon any whiskey rye whiskey bourbon you don't have to use malt but traditionally malt was what you use to convert use those enzymes to convert all the starch to sugar to then ferment right mm -hmm. so malt is always if you look at any kentucky bourbon they're going to have bar malting barley mm -hmm. you know so we're we're seeing that new york state isn't quite meeting i think the demand that's coming so that's been exciting anyway you know it's one other aspect and it's fun to work at the grassroots level growing what will then be made into whiskey here in the distillery and and um yeah i did, i don't know there's something so elemental and simple a lot like the maple distillates it's very clean very simple nothing there's nothing it's it's from the ground it's sunlight it's stored in barley it's stored in the maple syrup and sap and then you're converting all that sugar into alcohol and mm. and then it too is kind of this special you know magical thing that you save and a lot of times winter for whatever reason it's cold we have a fire in the wood stove you want something that warms you and, and that sunlight is then cracked open from the bottle sure. again and it's kind of magical for me to see to know the farmers know the fields go visit the barley as it's growing to then bring it in is kind of like an honor. Like, how can I mm -hmm. take this effort that you did and all your work that you're proud of, and then I take it and I make something that's then passed on and taken home with other people. And that's kind of why raising spirits in the Finger Lakes became kind of our motto and our mantra, you know, because mm -hmm. we're trying to elevate the discussion, but also raise people up, you know, yeah. uplifting, make it inspired, you know. Sure. So when you're comparing it to like a, a bourbon or a basic whiskey is the difference within the distillation process or is the difference within the the growing process I'll, so a little bit of both and then a whole nother mash bill so so every whiskey has its own governing laws let's say you know some of them are looser than others mm -hmm. but you know uh, single malt single malt whiskey american single malt whiskey barley yeast water right 100 percent Mm -hmm. nothing that's the mash bill all ball all all barley malt um, bourbon has to be 51 percent corn or more by law in the mash mm -hmm. bill all the other elements you can play around with so you can do 51 percent corn you can do 30 percent malt and the rest can be rye or rye and wheat a four grain or it could be it can be a high rye so you can go high rye and the rest of your mash bill it can be can be you know a hundred percent corn as long as it's 51 mm -hmm. percent corn or more so bourbon is kind of all over the map in terms of what the mash bill can be, where single malt barley, you know, or American single malt is 100% barley. And so that, that's a big factor. So it's all barley flavor. And so, yes, there's different distillation. Definitely my cuts on the still, the way I do my first run, the way I, I'm, you know, run in, you know, your tails, there's a lot of flavor in tails. Um, there's also things that, you know, I don't want to geek out too much, but obviously you've got many different alcohols, many different compounds, fusel oils, all these things that'll come off on a still. And you can use those as an artist to your advantage. De you know, your stripping run kind of is going to determine what, what your palate is in your final distillation run sure. when you make those tight cuts to your heart. And that's, so it's kind of like, you know, you have to plan ahead. You have to say, what do I want my bourbon do I, you know, what do I want to come forward in that bourbon? And 
bourbon I feel like is much oilier. It's got a different mouthfeel than, than scotch mm-hmm. whiskey or single malt whiskey does. And part of that I think is that corn element. You know, it's got and also the barrel is charred where single malt whiskey is usually going into a, a used barrel because you it's like a tea bag. You you take something delicate like barley yeast and water. It doesn't have all that big oil and bold flavor mm-hmm. like maybe rye, the spice of rye with the oily corn that's gonna hold up to something that's charred, you know. It needs I've had single malt whiskey in a charred oak barrel and it's not not good. You know, because it just overpowers it. Sure. So so when you when you take a bourbon cask freshly dumped, it's still got it's charred, yes, but it's it's been used like a tea bag. Still has some flavor in it, but it's now softer. And because single malt is typically aged longer, you really have the ability to age it long and it doesn't change so drastically like a bourbon might. You know, you might change in a month. You go back and taste that barrel and it's totally different. Where single malt, I feel like, is slower, more delicate, softer aging. And then you can put it in another cask to finish it, whether that's sherry or ex-wine or Pinot Noir, whatever, you know, some fun options. Rum. Don't get me started on rum. Yeah. (laughs) So have you had any experimental single malts um, yourself, just like off the record trying to figure out like how this would even go? How do those work out? You mean, have I done them or have I tried others? No, no, no. You. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So your first attempt, was it like, well, I got some work to do? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) No. Yeah, definitely. And that's, and part of it too is um, it's... It's a little tricky with single malt. You were talking about production, and I forgot mm-hmm. to. So with single malt whiskey, you're taking the liquid. When you mash in, it's, called, it's actually called laudering. It's like a brewery would do. False bottom on your cooker. So a false bottom is like a strainer. I showed you guys the mm-hmm. mash tun. Mm-hmm. All that liquid is called wort. And that liquid, you drain off the, through the barley. And that is what you ferment. Bourbon is all grain in, yep. so it's all the corn, it's all ground up, it's mashed in, it's then fermented all with the grain. So that is a little tricky with single malt to because when you lauder that, that barley, you want the hulls that, you use a roller mill with barley, right? Because it just, you want it to crush the hull of the barley, you don't want it to grind it into powder. If you're making bourbon, it's okay to grind it into a powder because you're not using it as a filter bed. You just want all those enzymes ground up, so it's not as it's not as uh, tender a process as as laudering barley. So you want to crush that hull to open the starch up, but you want the shell of the barley to also act as a filter sure. that all that wort drains through. And if your temperatures aren't right, your strike temp isn't right, your enzymes, you know, you can ruin things in a hurry. You're trying to you're trying to basically get those enzymes find the temperature that's going to work for both your your main enzymes beta and alpha you know enzymes to break all that starch down and make it into sugar Mm -hmm. so you can get some off flavors if your you know water temp is big the way you're draining your wort brewers will tell you it's it's very finicky you know you want to take your time low and slow and you really don't want to you don't want to be mixing that grain bed up a whole lot after when you start draining your wort so yeah, those first attempts where something wasn't, you know, I just kept playing, or you know, you're not cooling your work fast enough. You're not, um, 
sanitizing is a huge thing for everyone making beverage alcohol. Sure. You know. So yeah, I made some funky, and I also got some bad uh, grain. You know, you can. There's a lot of like fusarium is a bacterial, and like you know, grain just like grapes can mold, can mm-hmm. pre-sprout. You can have some bad grain. Corn can be all over the map. I've had really bad corn, and that flavor comes. You can't take something that tastes awful and make something good by, you know, I don't care who you talk to. So you really have to start with high quality grain or fruit, and you have to be very careful about the process. Otherwise, it can go off the rails in a hurry. It's not just like throw it all together and, hey, you know, run it through the still and it tastes great, you know. Sure. And so, then, yeah. so talking about scotch, too, and, yeah. uh, and how it relates. So everybody that associates scotch, they think of peat moss and that heavy peated flavor. Yep. Does American single malt have that in there? And if so, where does it come from? Because I'm assuming you're not burning peat to dry nope. it out. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, so you are. Okay. You are. So, so um, Ireland, Scotland, that area, uh, they don't have a whole lot of wood. It's, so they burn peat, their, their bogs. It's, you know, highly compressed. Basically, it's a young coal. So they also, you know, would fire stills with coal. Early Scottish, you know, I have, I actually have some old blended scotch that I picked up almost a mineral coal note and I did research and that distillery was actually burning coal. And I believe Kalila also, or Bunahavan, one of them, they were coal fired stills. So that, that peat that's there is just not quite coal. It's pitched out onto the ground with a shovel. It's made into almost like a log brick let the sun dry it and now that's what they use to cook with that's what when they harvest the barley you need to trick the barley into germinating that's how you get the enzymes so and then you stop that that barley from sprout it's called chitting it'll grow a little rootlet and when that rootlet gets to a certain length where you know okay now it's it's those enzymes are there because it's going to convert that seed starch into sugar for the new plant you you dry that barley and you do that with you know here a lot of times maltsters will use gas or you know electric dryers but really i think gas is pretty common in scotland in ireland it was peat Mm -hmm. so the peat the way they do it is lay out they'd lay all that barley that's still moist because it's sprouted and they would lay it out on a a screen and build a fire crude way really underneath it but now they have a little more elaborate system with forced air and that peat smoke would rise up through the barley because that barley can be in some cases two to three feet thick and that smoke is actually now infused in that barley because that's you're literally just burning for hours i think in scotland you know like heavily peated is 18 hours plus of heavily burning that peat to dry and then they might fire up a gas forced air draft to dry it the rest of the way that's the stuff he doesn't like well yeah like yeah octomore octomore is i think the most heavily peated in uh, brucolati they octomore is the highest ppm and that is some ridiculous like 48 or 50 hour burn of peat it's insane that's like putting a smoker into your mouth yes and then someone jumps on it totally come on yeah. <laughs> so yeah, how some, long? Yeah. So you're going to be doing that for yours? I am. Yeah. So I'm working with Murmuration Malt. Um, Judd and Emily Hallett. Their family owns a malt. Um, their maltsters. It's a malt house up in Bloomfield. And and yeah, Judd. I started brainstorming with Judd as I like. I think even before I was building this place because I saw him building his, you know, building. And I, I thought, what is is this going to be a malt house? Is it going to be a brewery? 
So I was super excited to meet him, and he's he's got you know great ideas. He and Emily and his kids all work in that business, and he let me build a smoker, and I brought in Pete from Scotland from Isla, and then I also have been doing some cherry wood, some other woods white oak from my property here in New York State. So it's kind of a hybrid. It's awesome. Yeah, but I've done, and then I'm also working with another maltster, who um, he owned Pioneer Malt. And he's doing a heavily peated, that's what I'm actually producing right now, is a heavily peated all from Scotland. So it's a heavily wow. peated malt. And, and distilleries like Westland have a heavily peated. They may bring in their malt from Scotland, actually, because they're not a, they're not a farm distillery like I am, a Class D license. So I believe they might be bringing it in. It's getting essentially the same peated malt that a lot of those distilleries are bringing in. Now, do you like the peated flavor i do and it, do you like it because you actually like it like i like it because i like the way chocolate tastes or do you <laughs> like it because you understand the art behind it and the process like does that kind of i loved it before i knew the process i love the me. flavor yeah cheers to you man I yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i i will say i have had some that it's over the top sure. i mean i i love them all i even like octomore but you know it's mood right like if yep. you're you know you go to a dram that you, you might want a, a sherry sweet space side mm-hmm. that has no peat because you're in that mood or you're having food and it's kind of more of a dessert dram. But then you also might be having, a, you might be barbecuing, might be smoking a cigar mm-hmm. and you want to match it kind of like with like so that smoke can, can hold up to the yeah. cigar or the, the, you know, the barbecue or whatever you're doing. I feel like, yeah, depending on my mood, I, I love bring on the smoke. Yeah. He likes you like Glenlivet fifteen, right? Yeah. So for our fiftieth episode, we, we've been telling our listeners this: we're having Lagavulin sixteen, nice. and he, he doesn't like the peat, so he's forcing me to make him steak. That way, he can enjoy it properly. There you go. <laughs> I, I told him the steak is probably going to be wrapped in bacon. So that <laughs> we ensure there's enough meat. Totally. Yeah. So, being such a new process, the American single malt. What have your like influences influences been? Because you can't really like reach out to distilleries to ask how they're doing it because most distilleries aren't doing this right so how are you getting all this knowledge traveling looking observe I've, I've been to every distillery on isla i've been to you know you when you go in you're all eyes sure. so and also you meet people that share a lot of knowledge you know working doing every aspect of production at Springbank from literally we floor malted barley pitched it out of the steep wheelbarrowed it you know fired the peat up you know pitched you know so we're doing everything from milling to malting and then when you're around those people to them it's it's like anything like you know pouring a glass of water it's a process sure. you turn the tap on you fill your glass you drink it and so they're very generous they don't there's no you know there is mystique and there is excitement and mystery and some things might be kind of left out but if you read between the lines and you're observant and you pay attention and and you're let into you kind of allowed behind the curtains in a lot of these places and you pick the right people's brains Mm -hmm. and you find generous people they share and that's part of the fun is i'm never going to make the same whiskey that you would or that any distillery in scotland is going to make nor would i want to i'm really trying to make a very local you were using local barley like right now naples grown barley from the raffman farm and the fay farm up the road and I'm using New York State white oak barrels, and I'm using, you know, um, 
some of actually black buttons use bourbon okay. casks nice. all of their ingredients are coming from new york state farms mm -hmm. so that also lends to the story you saw the dunnage warehouse under the deck we're going to be getting a lot of the naples air and the cool air that drops off the hill and the warm eastern you know sunlight early morning we're going to get all of these things that are blooming that are happening outside are going to influence that whiskey much like the sea influences Scottish whiskey because all those dunnage warehouses right by the ocean are very porous and that salt air is getting in there and you have that like I think of old Pulteney has like a maritime sea note so we're gonna we're gonna be finding out what Naples tastes like here in a couple of years yeah. that's so interesting that's amazing the first of all can you explain to people what you mean by your dunnage warehouse and then yeah. also like kind of off of that why aren't more distilleries doing this where you have the barrel sit outside and kind I of I don't know get... I don't know you, it may, it, honestly it might just be because of demand where they have flagship products where the demand is so high for those flagship sure. products they're kind of holstered to that where they not I mean they really don't necessarily have the amount of resources that you have down the street literally right or the time and to really dive yeah. into it too because yeah I mean, to his point, there's not a lot of local distilleries that have gone to countless workshops True. for like the last 15 years all over the world to then come back and then utilize the land that you have to then make a product that you want mm -hmm. based right. off of prior experiences. So I think that has a lot to do yeah, with it too, you know? And there aren't a lot of single malt whiskey, American single malt whiskey producers. There are, there are some out there and it's growing. But I think that's part of why, you know, most people, bourbon, bourbon, so scotch had a boom, scotch whiskey had a boom, and literally right on its heels, bourbon. And bourbon far surpassed, as you probably well know, the demand. And right yeah. now, you know, bottles that, that we would all enjoy 15 years ago, that you could buy the local store, you know, name anything from Van Winkle, Weller, you know, those were like everyday drinkers that were 20 to 30 bucks. Bourbon has just been, you know, far exceeded the, I think, the demand that happened with Scotch single malt whiskey. Mm -hmm. And now I think you're seeing people come back, people that maybe even discovered bourbon, that's their gateway into whiskey drinking, sure. right? Yep. Now are saying, oh, there's other whiskeys, there's rye whiskey, there's Empire rye whiskey, mm -hmm. which is a super exciting category in New York State. You know, and, uh, and now there's American single malt whiskey. I just, I, you know, they may have discovered bourbon and most distilleries in, in this country were making bourbon, right? I think there's, I don't know how many now, the number is growing for American single malt, but you know, it's, it's not anywhere near what the bourbon output is. You know, it's a fraction. So I think that's part of it. Dunnage warehousing in Scotland is the most basic you know, it can be brick, can be concrete. Most often, though, it's some kind of masonry. It's rock, stone, and the floors are dirt. And part of that is it, it was cheap. You just need a place that, you know, you could store your barrels safely for the revenuers because mm -hmm. those barrels are owned. And the taxes owed on those barrels until you take them out of bond. So the government is why they want a warehouse that's secure, caged in with steel, and uh, but basic. They didn't want to make their dunnage warehouses pretty. Kentucky, so Kentucky Rick Barns are a whole different thing, but the same idea, basically like tin, True. wood ricks, and then you know tin. Now they're getting a little more elaborate. Buffalo Trace has done tremendous amount of research on 
and development on how they're building their new rec houses, their foaming insulation in. It's a little more involved climate control windows that open and draft a certain way. They've studied it by using sensor, digital sensors. Scotland, they're still traditional. There's not a single dunnage warehouse there that I, and literally at Springbank, the barrels are rotting into the ground, rotting. There's mushrooms growing, so cool. And it influences that in an amazing sure. way. Absolutely. Could you imagine their ideology? There's, They're like, yeah. oh, it's windy today. That'll taste good in six years. <laughs> like, they don't care. 30 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah this, this one is going to be good. In th and they do have traditional, like, concrete floor, almost more like a Rick house. I've seen that in even at Springbank. But the, the magic, I feel, happens in those Dunnage warehouses where so much of the outside air is influenced. Your outside environment and the ground earth is influencing the taste of the flavor of the whiskey so when we built this place obviously budget's tight we have this wonderful deck and space underneath it that i can i'm welding the concrete i'm it's concrete and steel i'm making kind of a, a, a vault a dunnage warehouse the first open air uh dunnage warehouse that i know of which is exciting that is sweet because you know that i think is going to influence it even that much more because like we said the sunlight hitting the barrels in the winter we're going to get some of that whiskey moving into the wood and then it gets really cold when the clouds come over mm -hmm. it can drop 20 to 30 degrees so it's really the movement of that whiskey in and out of the wood that's mm -hmm. chemically changing it and and also helping you know with the maturation now in all the the time that you've spent in scotland do you think that there's a year where you just kind of don't surpass keeping something in a barrel where it'll kind of just taste too woody in a sense yeah because sure. there's there are certain bottles yep. that are for sale that are just an ungodly amount of money oh yeah but they're like 75 years old and everyone's flipping out about it and then they drink it and it tastes like yep terrible yeah it's just <laughs> yeah, straight like, garbage yeah, for forty thousand dollars <laughs> like oak oak yeah it's like yes drinking an oak tree yeah. right yeah no i i totally agree i think i think it's funny because you know i'll even admit to this getting into whiskey in my 20s and you know just kind of doing it from a strictly love flavor taste Ooh, this tastes good i'm gonna buy that again or oh i like that somebody recommended this not really look and then you know then the realization of oh this is wow this is a you know 15 year old it's a little more money or saving money to buy you know a 21 year portwood belveni you know mm -hmm. or something like that where i was like all right i'm i'm saving i'm gonna sp i'm gonna drop you know 150 bucks on a bottle which was huge and the number 21 years you know that became a thing for a lot of people even myself included where you're paying for that and you should because to think about $150 for a bottle that's been sitting in a beautiful oak barrel for 21 years cared for and is amazing is 21 years. Like I remember being uh, drinking something on num numerous occasions that was older than I am. You know, right. that's a pretty amazing mystical thing. Somebody had the care and foresight. They may not even be alive. Mm -hmm. They made that the barley grew. It was laid in a barrel and now, I was born somewhere after that, and here I am partaking in it. It's pretty, pretty amazing. So I get both sides of it, but I agree there is a magic time. I, I used to be kind of a snob about younger whiskeys, even about craft whiskey. When American craft whiskey first became a thing, some of them just were awful in my mind, and probably they, and that's my opinion. Sure. I'm not saying mm -hmm. they are, and I'm not going to name any names, but 
you know, now I'm, I'm way more open now and I also feel like the industry has grown and matured and we're getting better and we're making better product and we're now competing on a global level and the demand has gone up and what's cool about small batch things are they are not, there's a magic to consistency but there's also a magic to this is kind of a one-off. Sure. This is, I think of a distillery like Corsair, sometimes they're, they're doing so many crazy wild experiments that hey, good luck getting that bottle ever again because they're never going to make that mm -hmm. spirit again. And they were doing some crazy fun things with smoking with mesquite and using quinoa Ooh. to make whiskey and just wild stuff, you know, which wow. is so exciting. And the craft industry allowed that to happen. And the demand, and people like all of us that are like, I want to try this. Sure. I want to try a maple distillate. I want to try a quinoa whiskey. Or So I don't think the age, I do agree there's a time that's where like a master blender, somebody that's job is to watch those barrels, mark them, take really good notes, mm -hmm. say, watch that barrel because I think she's ready. Mark it, let's harvest it because any more and it's done. Or hey, that one went too far in a bourbon, it's too oaky, let's blend it off into this other sure. with some younger barrels to kind of help boost that oak tannin. So it's, there's an art to, you know, there's an art to distillation and there's, a crazy amount of art to maturation mm -hmm. and um, you know I've taken workshops um, oh there Nancy Fraley for example and you Nancy Fraley is an amazing blender and learning you know I could probably study with her for years and never get to the bottom of like she's blending for Wyoming whiskey and for uh, Mag Magnus Joseph Magnus whiskey mm -hmm. and sh they'll hire her to come in and I, I admire that I probably if I can afford to would love to have her come at some point sure. and because it's you get too close to your artwork and you're not I may think I know that it's good but it's also mine it's mm -hmm. kind of like my kids are the best kids yeah. you know <laughs> yeah well you know my kids are the best kids so same with whiskey making anything you think you get excited sometimes you're not excited and you're like scrap it mm -hmm. it's not good but yeah. It's great to have somebody else whose job it is, like a master blender, come sure. in and say, nope, you need to do this, or, or hey, that's, that's really maturing nicely. Let's watch that barrel. Let's do this. Let's do that. Sure. So when are you estimating your first bottle to be sold of your American single malt? I'm kind of leaning toward, I've got two barrels down there of the peated and smoked, um, all organically grown. I, it's not certified organic, but it's the, from the Fay Farm. Mm -hmm. It was the first farm I worked with. So it's kind of, you know, I've been excited to release a, even a young single malt. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a 16-year Lagavulin. Right. It's just not. It can't have that complexity. But there's something exciting about it. It's young. I may release it cask strength because right now the samples are really tasty. Sure. And it's exciting. It's fun. So it might be as soon as this winter. Ooh. I mean, I, part of me wants to release it this fall just young mm -hmm. to get people trying it because it is going to be you know naples first whiskey and our first smoked and peated all naples grown whiskey which That's is awesome. kind of fun and yeah. i think i think it'll actually be I've, I've sampled some friends who are single malt drinker drinkers on it and they're like it's it's amazing you know we just, we tried it against uh like saint george um, milk and honey out of israel is making a single malt a young single malt so a lot of these younger single malts i, I kind of did a little bit of a tasting with a couple friends I've gotten some input and just to see what do you think yeah. you know and they picked ours as the best of the group wow. which is cool you know in a blind like yeah and also at cask strength mm -hmm. which some of that's also fun 
bump up the excitement a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. it's young, it's feisty. What's the proof on it? Right now, I think I I enter the barrels a little lower. lower. I think it's like at 110, 115. Okay. Nice. Not crazy. Not like, you know, some in Scotland, 63.5 is kind of the magic sure. number. They enter 63.5% ABV, which yeah. is high. But I think part of that is it's aging longer, mm-hmm. and they drop proof because in Scotland, in dunnage warehouses, you're losing your alcohol is evaporating, whereas in Kentucky, your water is evaporating because those dun- the dunnage warehouses stay cool, right? Scotland mm-hmm. is a cool climate, much like New York. So I anticipate we're going to play around here, but I think we'll probably, we might balance out losing alcohol and water in the barrel. Um, because we are a little bit open air and getting sunlight and it's a little warmer than Scotland. Dunnage warehouses are cold in the winter, so that whiskey isn't doing a whole lot. Sure. And that, and they're losing their, you know, ethyl alcohol is evaporating. In Kentucky, dark, you know, rack, uh, the, the barrel uh, rickhouses heat up because they're just metal. Mm-hmm. They're open, very little insulation, and they're just cooking. And you want, they want that whiskey to go into the wood, be like extreme in and out, in and out, in and out. Sure. So they're losing water in Kentucky and the proof is going up in the barrel. And in Scotland, it's the opposite. They're losing alcohol and the proof is going down. So, so interesting how climate plays into it. Yeah, yeah, totally. So one more thing that I want to talk about before we wrap this up, because I think it's been over an hour already. So yeah, sorry. appreciate you know, your time. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome information and something that our viewers will definitely appreciate because the American single malt is such a new thing and it's going to be awesome. We're excited for your stuff to come out. Thank you. Just to kind of bring it back again, though, I want to talk about the restaurant area yeah. of this, just to bring people here yep. for a different reason other than whiskey yeah, and yeah. your distilled products. Um, do you want to talk about your, your farm to table process? And then also you're probably one of the first distilleries that has an insane collection of different whiskeys in the back and you're not just trying to sell your own stuff. Right. So can you please talk about that yeah, a little yeah. bit too? So, so this goes back to, again, my wife, Melissa and I love food, love pairing food, wine, spirits, beer, cider, whatever. Um, fun, you know, just food is celebration, right? Mm-hmm. So with starting a local farm to table restaurant prior to this, um, you know, we, we learned a lot. We love working with local farmers. A lot of our friends are local farmers and we like supporting that. And we feel like we're lucky in the Finger Lakes to be living in kind of the land of plenty, right? So in building this, we wanted a small kitchen that's putting out amazing Finger Lakes food, Finger Lakes bounty. We do have some seafood. I love seafood. So we pull in occasionally some, we're doing a, a crab cake, right now that's off the charts good Um, occasionally we'll bring some shrimp we try to source everything very sustainably but for the most part it's all finger lakes grown super local and my wife melissa is is the you know she's kind of overseeing the process we just hired two young guns uh phil phil and andrew are you can check out their instagram is 11 weld they've been cooking they're young guys super passionate great technique great skills so we're excited they're doing a lot of our specials so that's been fun so i think part of it the process now is to see that creativity in the kitchen get people excited to come back every week for something new mm-hmm. and also just talking to you 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 know you love cider one night beer one night maybe wine maybe a good single malt maybe a bourbon mm-hmm. we want people to come here and that's why we got the on-premise, get anything they want. I don't have any delusions about, you know, I don't want people to feel limited. They might not like our spirits. I hope they do. I'd mm-hmm. love to think our spirits are great. 
but I'm not going to delude myself and I'm not going to try to force people. I want people to have to come here and have exactly what they need at that moment. So we, yeah, we hunt some amazing whiskey. I try to do, I try to curate a really good wine selection. What do we do well in the Finger Lakes? Let's feature that. Rieslings, uh, we're doing some really good Gruners. We're doing some, actually some good Merlot. You know, some of the reds are not quite there. So we have California cabs. Mm -hmm. They're, or, you know, a, a Washington or Oregon uh, Pinot Noir. So we're kind of just trying to, trying to make this something for everyone. And we really want, yeah, we want people to come here, be inspired, and and have exactly what they need at that moment. Because that's kind of, you you know, going out is a treat, right? It's a little vacation. And I feel like that's what you want people to walk away from here feeling recharged, inspired, totally satisfied. That's the hope, you know. I think you're doing a damn good job. Thank you, man. <laughs> Absolutely. You so, have to come back for some food. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's not. Absolutely. <laughs> Soon. Yeah, we'll be we'll back. So for flagship products, what do you... What are your flagship products? Where can people buy them? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like what are your hours here? So that way yep. people can so, swing by. So we started on an, an online store, hollerhorn.com. You can click on the online store and actually get everything, including right now the SLA has granted us privileges to sell. We're selling Weller as well. We've sold, uh, we, wow. we, we can sell anything, but we also are on premises always allowed wine, beer, and cider to be sold to go. So on that store, our flagships are right now our maple distillates. So um, Silverleaf, the 100 proof, clear, unaged spirit. Mm -hmm. Seedling is about six to nine months aged in bourbon. Maple distillate, double distilled, 80 proof. Uh, sapling, I'd say those three, sapling is the oldest of the maple distillates, 80 proof as well. Those three, and then we're doing a, a gin, we call gin ship. It's a collaboration with Black Button, actually, and that's been... We're on batch two, version two. We're gonna do version three, I think, this fall. And that's been a fun way to collaborate with them. I feel like they're making some really fun, great gins yeah. too. Um, and then we have an apple brandy called South Holler, another collab. I love collaborations. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see the, that's kind of the spirit of the place. Um, Steve Seelan at South Hill Cider and Phonograph is his other label making, I think, some of the best uh, New York State cider. Okay. A lot of heirloom New York State apples. He's working on a beautiful orchard. His ciders are amazing. So we collaborated and made an apple brandy aged in a, a used bourbon and seedling maple distillate uh, cask. And now I'm working on round two of that. So we'll, that's going to be an ongoing flagship product, sure. kind of like a Calvados apple brandy. Mm -hmm. um, and then I've got strawberry brandy, unaged brandy coming out soon. That's done. Cherry that I was working on today. Uh, so we're also calling them like Kirsch is the is the Austrian is German for cherry. Mm -hmm. They call Kirschwasser is basically cherry water, right? Um, and that's like a schnapps, which is just fruit yeast water. And that's what we're doing. Unaged brandy. Sweet. So we're gonna do a lot of. We're gonna follow the fruit in the Finger Lakes. So I've got. Plums already started. I've got strawberries. I've got. We'll do a, a Marillen, an apricot schnapps or unaged brandy. Whoa. We're gonna try to build on the brandy and get people excited about fruit again. Kind of stored sunlight in a bottle. Sure. So those are the flagships, and then the single malt. We're releasing our first. It's gonna be a, a young whiskey that's made from Bloody Butcher corn, and I'll show you. It's a red, an heirloom red open pollinated corn. 
So that's coming out soon, and that's I'm using a whole different process. We can go into that. It's unlike any other corn whiskey, and it's we'll save it for the next visit. But yeah, yeah it's so that's going to be released this fall. Okay. And um, and that's aged in Finger Lakes wine casks, so it'll be kind of fun. That's awesome. <laughs> so kind of you're doing so much. Yeah. So what about hours again? Hours are right now Friday through Sunday, Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. Sunday from 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. And uh, we are going to add, thir- we always were open Thursday, but um, we're just taking a break. We're going to do some pairing dinners, to try to recharge this winter. Mm-hmm. And then, then in spring, full Thursday through Sunday hours again. But you can find, you can place an order online, come pick it up curbside. I'm here just about any day. So if you leave a message on the, when you purchase spirits, just say, if possible, call me and I'll pick it up which we do all the time. We have people traveling through the Finger Lakes and they place an order and then they'll just leave. You have, an, you have the ability to leave a message when you buy online. Mm-hmm. Just give me a number and I'm here every day. So <laughs> I'll meet you outside. Yeah. Uh, what about social media? Are you on social media? On social media, yep. Super simple. We're on Facebook, Instagram. It's, you'll find us at Hollerhorn. We are the only Hollerhorn. So just look up Hollerhorn Distilling on all those. We... Uh, not really on Twitter a whole lot, but yeah, Instagram, Facebook, our website is a great spot too. All of the, all of our posts and photos from social media upload automatically to the website, so you can kind of follow what's happening sure. with photographs. It's kind of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your thank time. You Everybody, come down to the Finger Lakes area. Check out Hollerhorn Distilling. They have an awesome venue, some a sweet hangout spot that bands sometimes do oh yeah that come and play here music. Yep. yeah so this is just an awesome area to bring anyone and just have a good time and enjoy a drink thank so you thank guys. you so much Thanks carl so much, appreciate Rob. it thank you yeah. thank you everybody see you soon Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.